and welcome to episode 88 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, we have Steven, thank God, Kingdom Hearts 2.5 HD Remix 358 over two days, blah, 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 is out. Well, it's not out, but I have it. Oh, okay, so you have your review copy of it. Check your privilege, bro. Seriously, how, why are you like our review bunny now? Like, you are, you just do everything. What? You're the I'll review do everything. Bunny. It's like the Fox News news bunny thing. Like you are the review bunny. I don't. I don't get. You'd that probably reference. rather be like a review hedgehog or something. Review right? hedgehog. Oh god, he'll he'll be a sonic apologist. As long as I'm not a scientifically accurate hedgehog, because that would be gross. When it comes to doing reviews, you got to go fast. And I mean, <laughs> oh boy, here we go, here we go. That's uh, Derek Kimsberg and everybody. Thanks. I'm Derek Kingsburg, and like uh, Rob just said, I'm Embryon on the boards. And you didn't give me a nickname. Can I be Derek uh, Korochan? Is still going to be my waifu Kingsburgan? I was going to say, I was going to say Derek. I'm finally playing Dragon Age. Uh, I'm about to. I'm psyched. I'm mad stoked. There you go. No, but uh, I have to explain my joke because in Persona Q, which we're going to talk about in this episode, there's a, a segment where they go through a love. Uh, like a matchmaking kind of session uh, because the the setting of Persona Q is like a, a school festival and there's a part where you can go through and be matched with somebody and you can totally play as the main character Persona 3 and get matched up with Koromaru so <laughs> he can be your one true love and you guys pose in one of those little cardboard cutouts where your faces go through. Wasn't that did, the dog? Did you start yeah. with the Persona 3 cast? Yeah, I did. Okay, I started with 4 so I, my, mine was different. Yeah, well, oh, it's not in that part. Like, I just know it's later on because Tumblr... Tumblr. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, I, and I also I I thought you would probably start with four, so now we can talk about the differences. It seems like there'd be a lot of them. At least in chapter one, I guess. I'm not, that's all I've done. So I've done three levels of the dungeon. It's fine. This carousel takes us around and around. around. Okay, Rob, you can have the floor. I mean, go ahead and talk about Persona Q, guys. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna sit here. <laughs> Uh, it's fantastic, and so far the dialogue is hilarious, and it's the right kind of it's the right kind of fan service, because a lot of fan service is just like, hey, here's every joke from the game, just again. I'm inclined to disagree so far, but go ahead. Uh, whereas I find that they are actually just taking the characters and using their personalities and coming up with new jokes. Like obviously they joke that Chie likes meat, which she does. And uh, there's a couple She's really funny. Kanji has a couple really funny lines, where he's like, "It's always all meet all the time with you, Chie Senpai," and there, those lines like that really amuse me. But uh, uh, I, I, well, see, I'm I'm still in the first dungeon, so I think I'm on the third floor, or I just got to the end of the third floor, and so far all I'm seeing is every character as they were at the beginning of Persona 3 with their one quirk amped way up. And I'm pretty sure, I think uh, Greg actually said something along those lines in his review for the site, but that's all I'm seeing. And I, I realize that they don't want to show off any of the really significant development that happened in the, in the original games that the characters come from. But at the same time, it just feels like they've regressed to the point where Chie is just a walking, I like meat spouter. Like she just walks around being like, I like meat, I like meat. Of course, I didn't start with Persona 4, so I don't know. But that's what I'm getting from the other characters. It's like, oh, Akihiko and Shinjiro butt heads because they're so at odds. It's so funny. And Mitsuru was such a mean ice queen. And that that's all I'm getting out of any of the characters so far. Zen and Rei are, are the new characters to the story, and I haven't 
I like them so far, but they also seem kind of one note at this point. I'm sure more will be revealed later since they're important to the game's plot, but... I think what I like most about Rey so far is that uh, in every single dialogue sequence, she's eating food. I know! I love that. And it's never the same food. Like, she's always eating something different. I respect that. Girls got hunger. Right. I know that feel. Um, What I... The the first... The two things I knew I wanted to mention, one of which is that I don't know what the later dungeons are like, but they are doing an awesome job of not doing just like, here's a, a cave dungeon. The first dungeon is Alice in Wonderland themed, and it's awesome. Oh, that's yep. interesting. Um, and like you chase the white rabbit around through clocks and stuff. Um, and Are you secondly, sure you're not just talking about Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> he might be. No, <laughs> that's, all, that's all behind. There's no Alice in Wonderland in Kingdom Hearts 2. Um, but <laughs> there's like... Kingdom Hearts 1, Rob. God, why didn't you know every facet of Kingdom Hearts 2? I'm so Get sorry. Get it right. R-I-T-E. What I really like about Persona Q, though, is that gameplay-wise, they took liberally from Persona, but also from Etrian Odyssey. So it's not like it's not like you're playing an Etrian Odyssey with a Persona skin. You're very much playing a Persona with Etrian Odyssey elements. Like yep. the map, the map drawing from Etrian Odyssey is there, but it's a little more convenient now because, like, if you put a shortcut icon down, it automatically updates to show the directions. Oh directions. my god, so you have to do it that is so useful. That is such a small addition, but it's saving me so much headache. So... Yeah, it's just elegant. I, and you can do it with, I, I guess, chests probably had it before, but now the, if you put a chest icon, it'll update once you've opened it. Yeah. Uh, um, but I love that. I love that you can just put, you put a shortcut icon on the map, and then once you've unlocked each, like if it's a bi-directional one, you, you do, when you unlock the second direction, it'll just update to be a, a dual arrow. And that, oh, God. It, just, it takes some of the tedium out of updating all your icons and stuff. Because I used to get really anal about needing to go through and be like, oh, man, I don't remember what direction this workout was. I better go check, you know, so. Yeah, uh, so I agree. They did the Etrian Odyssey parts really well, and the combat is fantastic. We'll set a bad word there. Um, it's So it's Persona in that you want to attack weak points, but it's Etrian Odyssey in that there are rows and your characters work a little differently. Um, and what's cool now is, like, when you hit a weak point, it puts you into a boost state instead of giving you an additional turn. And what the boost state does is it makes you move first at the beginning of the next round and it makes all of your abilities cost zero sp or hp so you can if you boost correctly you could be never spending any sp just murdering enemies super quickly um and then the other cool thing they added to it is the sub personas which is how they get around canonically only the protagonist can change personas they actually say no everyone's persona is set but you can use a sub persona and that basically lets your entire party equip different personas um so it's and a what, little bit like subclassing in Entry and Odyssey, but I mean, it's it's its own thing in Persona, and it's not quite as nuanced. But I mean, in terms of like one Persona probably can't provide you with the same amount of bonuses or uniqueness that a sub a subclass could fully leveled up in Entry and Odyssey. But there are so many options for Personas that it's like it's fine. Well, what there also is is the Persona fusion and stuff. So I actually think I sort of disagree that there's not as much nuance because I think it's a different kind of nuance for sure. Because picking your subclass is a, is a major, major decision in Entry and Odyssey. Um, but here, you sort of have, you know, the full run of Persona Fusion as your optional thing. And then you have your main Persona gaining skills, too. Um, and what I like about the sub-Personas is that each one gives you, like, a bonus HP and SP modifier. So, like, you know, a strong physical persona, sub-Persona will give you, like, 50 HP. But rather than adding on to your maximum, hey, uh, rather than adding <laughs> on to your maximum, that was appropriate. Rather than adding on to your maximum, every time you start a battle, you have a bonus 55 HP. So, like, 
it gets rid of a lot of the post-battle healing tediums in that random fights, you always have a pool of SP and HP that you're guaranteed to have, so you're never going to be trapped in the dungeon with no SP and no way to get out. Yeah, um, like and it's not, an, it's not enough that you could, like, you know, fight a boss battle with it, but it's enough that your random battles, you're not constantly going into the menu to, like, use an item to restore your SP and your HP. Um, and it makes you less afraid to make use of the... You get a huge number of skills really fast in this. Like, by the second level of the dungeon, everybody in my party had at least six skills. Um, which is good, because sometimes Persona, I think, takes a little too long for you to get the abilities that let you actually take advantage of the battle system. Whereas here, within, you know, within two hours, I had access to almost every element. So it's like you can actually target weaknesses, and that's... That's sort of when the strength of the battle system comes in. It's not early on when you're just sort of butting your head against a wall without having the right abilities. Um, and because of the bonus SP and HP, you're actually encouraged to make use of that stuff. Because your, you know, your first round, you'll use your bonus SP to cast an ability. Then you get boosted. Then the next round, it doesn't cost any. So it's really cool the way it sort of... It keeps the pace of combat really fast. Yep. And another addition to the battle system that I like is their equivalent of the... I think, are they called boost attacks in Entry and Odyssey? Whatever the super attacks are, um, oh I yeah, I always found them to be kind of unwieldy because you had to set them to to certain combinations of party members, and then those party members could execute them together. And they were there's there's a lot of strategy in that, but it was a little bit I don't know. I just never really liked using them because I felt like they were the the meter built up really slowly for you to unleash them, and I I guess none of them ever really clicked with me as like oh my god this is gonna save my life. So in Persona Q, the as you know, the Stephen, the um, equivalent is leader skills, which are basically your navigator. So in this one, it would be Fuka or Rise. They actually participate in battle by having these skills that you can unleash using the main character, and they can do things like, oh, your HP is going to regen every turn, or you'll get just a uh, renewal ray, just re renews everybody's, or sorry, restores everybody's HP at once at the, uh, at the beginning of a turn. And there's other stuff down the line. And there are, there are passives, too. Like, when you walk around, you gain SP back. So, Or, like, it'll mark shortcuts on the map before you get to them. Yeah, so there are like lots it, of... Really it really takes on that navigator thing. Yep, so it, it makes the, the navigators feel like a much more active part of the party, whereas before, they've always just kind of been on the side. Persona 4 Golden did something to bring Rese into it some more with her all-out attacks and her skills, but it's not just, like, a voice. They actually do something. So I appreciate that a lot. And the, the meter for it builds up way faster than an entry in Odyssey, I think. Yeah, which again, I think plays into just the really great pace of combat in that game. Like, you're not, you never feel like you can't use your abilities, you know? Like, it's like, yeah, I'll use a party ability here, sure. Because I'll regenerate it in a couple fights. Yeah, you're not sitting there kind of waiting to use special attacks and doing the resource hog thing that... I think we've talked about that on the show before. Like, being, I don't want to use this elixir because I don't know when I'm going to need it. The game is kind of telling you no it's okay you can use these things use the resources that you have available yep. to you yeah exactly in entry Nazi, i would always save the uh the party attacks the boost attacks i forget what they're called but in persona q i'm just i'm burning through them because i get it back so fast so it's like okay this isn't just a an oh crap button that i can only unleash once every, every once in a while i can actually incorporate it into regular strategy and regular battles i dig now i have a question because I, i'm not too familiar with this game when when i think of persona i'm always focused in on the social links and the dating sim aspect that stuff's all been ripped out of persona q correct There's... ripped out is probably not the word i would use because it's yeah. not built to have them but no there right. are no like you don't I, build up social there's links. 
there's something that I, I know I haven't unlocked it yet, but I think it starts after the first dungeon, but you can st- do, go on strolls with people. There's a there's a menu option called stroll. Um, I don't know what it does, but I know that there's oh. some kind of vaguely social element in it. Yeah, you can. You, I think the way it works is you could stroll with a party member and you'll have like a conversation with them. Um, I don't know that it builds up any sort of stats, but I think it, it does have that sort of aspect of like putting the characters together and seeing what the, how they talk and interact. Yeah. So, but there's no, as far as I know, there's no like social link or any any system of that nature in the game. Okay, but again, the game's kind of focused in on the dungeon crawling and the combat, so it's it's a different style of game, you know. Yeah. So, but one thing it does that sort of, I think, is an improvement over Etrian Odyssey, at least I haven't played the two story Etrian Odysseys, um, well, the first one and then the second one's not out yet, but is that there's a lot more, there are a lot more cutscenes in the dungeon. Like, usually when you enter new rooms and stuff, people will talk. If you come to Dead Ends, there'll be like a party chat where they're like, hey, look at Dead End. And then they'll like, you know, there'll be like a joke or something, or you'll find like, you know, a pile of swords. And if you grab it, you get attacked or something, you know, as an example. Um, so the, there's a lot more character present in it than in the Etrian Odyssey games. Um, one little detail I really like is that when you open the doors? a door, the doors, yeah, when yes. you open a door, someone from your party runs out and opens the door and says something. Like you know, like Chie will run out and be like, "All right, let's go." Yeah, they there. You can actually see the character model run out, like in the first person view. The character model will run out a few steps in front of you and say, "Hey, here's the door. Let's go through it." So it it it's a really small touch, but it brings a lot of character to the game because in Etrian Odyssey. Your characters, as you create them, all you're choosing is a character portrait. You'll never actually see your character in the game. There's no 3D models for them whatsoever. You'll just see that static portrait when you're in battle. So in Persona Q, not only do you see the people in dungeons going through doors occasionally, but like when you use your regular attack, they jump out. And when yeah, they use Persona really like moves, they'll, they'll show up and shoot themselves with the evoker or crush the card. So you, you actually see the characters present a lot, and that means a lot to me. Like... Yeah, it, it, th- I think that sort of goes into what I was saying, where it does not feel like Etrian Odyssey with a Persona skin. It feels like a Persona game that has Etrian Odyssey mechanics. Yep, I would agree with that. And it's it's really good. I, I wish I'd put more time into it, but I'm playing other stuff right now. I need to finish first. Kind of sounds like you're a little mixed on the, the fan service equality, and when I think fan service... I am, yeah. When I think fan service, I kind of think about, unfortunately, kind of the sexual side of fan service and anime, you know, checking out the girls and bikinis yeah, yeah. and stuff. You, you're not saying that it's that kind of fan I service. I haven't seen anything like that really so okay. far. Um, there have been, like, in the beginning, there's a part where Junpei said something about uh, Koromaru barked, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh, translation, Koromaru wants it to have big bazongas or something like that, which was pretty in line with how Junpei would act anyway. So it's not like... Yeah, like they're doing weird things that are out of out of like the norm for them. So, yeah, that's actually why I like it so far. I feel like they are doing things that are in character. Like Yosuke is sort of an idiot, and uh, you know, a little harsh. It's it's on par with with yeah. Like Yosuke is meant to be sort of like a dude who's insensitive and like you know, like he's the one who when Kanji is like, "What's going on with Naoto?" Like he's the one who sort of like makes makes fun of him for it versus everyone else who's a little cooler about it. He's, Yosuke still sort of has that going on, but I like that because that's his personality, and he's what, like fifteen or sixteen, so that's completely believable as a character. Right, and again, we've had this discussion before, but characters having negative traits—that doesn't make them a bad character. That makes them a compelling character, certainly. I mean, the Persona characters are so so endearing, I think, because they're flawed. 
and resolving their or coming to terms with their flaws rather is a big part of all of their development. So that's in that sense, that's why I have a little bit of an issue with it because it seems like they have all regressed to that point where they were at the beginning of their respective games where like Yosuke is more of a dick than I remember him being just because I played through Persona 4 and I've seen him grow. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, we're back to this again. But yeah, I, I think it's more of like a midpoint thing. Like, because with 4, I've noticed that like, you know, it's not like they've progressed to where they are at the end of the game, but I'm guessing that's because they might leave some room for that in the space of this game. Yeah, but maybe. like w- what I meant... Whereas I, I have found it to be endearing so far is that there are a few like, hey, gee, I like meat jokes. But then there's just like funny writing in general that plays on their personalities. Like, you know, you're they're talking about at one point um, someone tries to rush through the dungeon. They're like, whoa, slow down, slow down. And Yosuke comes out and he goes like he was trying to say haste makes waste, but he says like haste makes paste or something. Mm-hmm. And so they all just start making fun of him for messing up the line. He's like, why is everybody so mean to me all the time? And like. Like, the kind of stuff that happened in Persona 4, but not that actually happened in Persona 4. Like, he did something stupid, and they made fun of him for it. Yeah, so it's along the same lines. Mm -hmm. So, for me, it's it's a mixed bag, but I I get where Steven's coming from, for sure. Cool, cool. Sounds like you guys are liking it. Um, Oh, yeah, good soundtrack. I mean, I'm surprised mm. neither of us have mentioned that yet, but... Yeah, the soundtrack is wonderful. It has the same main melody and vocal, like the same uh, words and the same main melody for the battle theme, but the Persona 3 and the Persona 4 casts have different, uh, like a different singer and different uh, arrangement of the tune. I don't know why I can't talk tonight. So yeah, like the Persona 4, the Persona 3 version is like a little grittier and a little more like guitar heavy. And then the Persona 4 version is a lot more like upbeat, like Persona 4 style, like happy, like adventure type song. It's good stuff. I like it. I like all the music I've heard. Well, I guess I I got the soundtrack back when it came out because I was uh, when I was in Japan. It came out and I was like, oh my god, we have to go get it. That was my one my number one takeaway that was on my shopping list. So I've been listening to that for months now. But it's uh, th- wow, that sounded so hipstery as I swell my coffee. No, but it, it's <laughs> a really good soundtrack. I've to it for months, and okay. it, it works. It works in context very well. So pumps you up, man. I think and- that's. I th- I've heard I've talked to people that have been like that haven't played Persona and they've said that the music sounds horrible and grating to them out of context and they said I I can't imagine that being good and then I tell them just play the game I promise it's good it's so much better without giving away any spoilers is there anything maybe hinting at Persona Five not yet no. not yet I I would be That's surprised true. if there isn't a Persona Q two that has the five cast though. Yeah, that's true. If there is anything, it's not going to be until the end. But um, I have a feeling that that if the there doors. was anything, it would have leaked on the internet way back when the Japanese version came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's kind of like with Persona 4 Arena Ultimax and original, I guess, and I guess, Labrys was important to the story and so was Show. And I could see them appearing in further expanded universe stuff, especially Show. Like, I'm still convinced that Show is going to show up in huh, Show in Persona 5. But I, there's no indication that Zen and Ray are going to do anything in future games, but I don't know. Yeah, I think they're, because they're designed by the Etrian Odyssey artists too, so I think they're just sort of like Etrian Odyssey characters in a Persona game. And they're a little, like I said, they're a little one-note, but I'm, I'm sure there are reasons why. Uh, I do agree with that. So far, I find Zen to just be like, grr, gritty RPG guy. And Ray is endearing, but she's also like 100% a trope. Yeah, she's I've, like hung, she's hungry girl, but it's at least well done. 
<laughs> yes, we are all Hunger Girl on some level. Isn't that like but... Katniss Everdeen? Oh no, that's Hunger Games Girl. What? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, come on, that was funny. Come on, they can't all be exactly. winners. I think I know what their their story is. I, I I have a very strong feeling about what they are doing there, but I don't. I'm not gonna say because I don't know if I'm right. I'll type it to you in Skype chat, Stephen. Okay. But yeah. Anyway, Persona Q, good game. Cool. I really want to know more about uh, Persona 5. You and everybody else. Yeah, I, I'm kind of like, uh, whenever you guys uh, want to let us know about that. I actually... No, 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 no. I, I don't want them to let us know about it. I want to see maybe a couple of the characters, and that's it. Yep, that's what I think. Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. I get what you're saying. Because knowing just, I nothing... I want to see the designs, you know? Like, I want I want to... I want them to say what the... Well, they've already said what the main theme is. Breaking free of chains by society. But yeah, I just want to see the, like, the main three characters. That's it. That's all I want to know. I think I want to like have a release date <laughs> at the very well, least. Yeah, obviously. That's different. I think that's what I want. Like I, I feel like I've been waiting for Persona 5 for... God, when did I play Persona 4? I was in graduate school, so we're talking about almost five years ago. Um, you had wait. time to play a game in graduate school? Oh, I wasn't very good at graduate school. <laughs> I wasn't very good at graduate school. <laughs> I've got people that I got a German in South at uh, University of South Carolina that'll tell you I wasn't very good at graduate school. <laughs> well, I had to get my game on. <laughs> oh, I, I feel that, my friend. Hey, if you skip sleep and, and health, there's plenty of time to play games in graduate school. That's true. Yeah. Nope. No thanks. I'm probably not going to go to graduate school. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, no. Until it's you not. Are psychotic, but okay. <laughs> what is that like? Resign silence. We're just all <laughs> being quiet here. We're all being friends. It was I'm there. in the midst of writing my thesis, so. <laughs> right now? I don't like, have any. This very second? No, but that's what I've been doing for the past four or five days, and it's what I'm going to be doing when we're done. Well, I knew that. It's the only reason I can play Kingdom Hearts right now. Since you're you, I thought maybe right this second. <laughs> He's just still going. He's While still plugging playing, away no, at that like, thesis. Doing it at the same time, he's like, I've been juggling, I've been playing as Roxas, juggling these balls with one hand and then writing my thesis with the other, and it's just, man, the thoughts are flowing. As Roxas, he was juggling balls, right? <laughs> Roxas. Well, I mean, you know. Just talk about Kingdom Hearts, dude. Like, Could just, just get, it, get it out. Get it out. We all know you're going to talk about it. Go ahead. So, how is Roxas' summer vacation? It's almost over. Oh no! Oh, no. So then you'll actually get to the you know the good part of Kingdom Hearts too. Oh, he went There's there. There's something to be said for the way a work introduces you to something, and there's a reason Roxas's whole level is supposed to be boring and feel like Kingdom Hearts One combat because it's supposed to create a contrast, and it yeah, does. I actually like that segment. Yeah, I, I, I like the Roxas segment. I don't think the combat is as good as the main game, but it's not there to let you do combat. It's from a time when JRPGs did things besides just throw you into their battle system, give you all the options, and say, go, fight forever. See, uh, I, I think I I like it kind of in an academic sense. You know what I mean? Like, I really respect it. I really think it's kind of wild for them to do it kind of the same way that I think it's wild, you know, the tanker level in Metal Gear Solid 2. I know spoilers there for a freaking 13-year game. But, like, in the academic sense, I think it's fine, but I remember with like my girlfriend in college watching her play and playing it myself. And we were both just kind of staring at each other. Like, 
boy, this game's really not putting the best foot forward. And, you know, it's one of those, in retrospect, it totally works, and it establishes Roxas's character, but is that enough? Like, is it is it okay to be clever I, I think it does, after the fact? I think it does more than establish his character, though. I think it's an important part of the narrative and an important part of the gameplay framing, because it's framing Roxas. Roxas was born when Sora was still, like, kind of new to the Keyblade. So the it makes perfect sense that Roxas would fight like Sora did at that point. And that's why, like, the way he holds the Keyblade is the way Sora holds it in Kingdom Hearts 1. Mm -hmm. And then that's why when you get rid of Roxas and you become Sora, and Sora's suddenly whipping the Keyblade keyblade, keyblade around way way flaster. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. This is getting better. I think it might be getting more offensive, too. Keep going, Steve. I've been been reading Japanese all day, so my my head is all in, like, Japanese pronunciation. Um, It's, uh... No, like when you get Sora and you're like running up the the, the mysterious tower, the, the walls, and like Donald and Goofy are back with you, you're not you know you're no longer a solo character, and Sora's like whipping the Keyblade around way faster and with way more like experience than Roxas. You're like, oh, that 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 alone right there makes you realize that Sora has grown a little bit in the time that's passed between the games. Whereas if you just started as Sora, it would automatically be like, oh yeah, Sora's you know this is how he fights now. You know, it wouldn't have. By nature of it being the two of them being put right next to each other, you get that sort of bridge between how he fought in the first one, which is pretty clunky, and how he fights in the second one, which is flying around murdering people. All right, I, I think I can respect that. I just remember it it was it was this very weird moment playing that game and seeing all the E three trailers and being so excited for all of those, you know, awesome keyblade moments with Sora. And the game, you know, at least mechanically speaking, doesn't put its best foot forward. I totally get where you're coming from that it's doing it in a thematic sense, which is something that we've talked about a lot on this show. We, we like it when games take chances in those kinds of regards. But I don't think the game was putting its best gameplay foot forward. And it was kind of a precursor of things to come when it comes to Square Enix, kind of maybe holding back on ideas or systems when it's making a thematic sense but not so much a gameplay sense, if that See, makes I, sense. I, I can agree that Square had, has had problems with that, but I do think, I think in this case, it does make gameplay sense. Um, no, it's not as exciting as Sora's at, ow! It's not as interesting as, as Sora's play. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's sort of, I mean, A, it's a very long tutorial, and B, you know, it, it's not as entertaining as the rest of the game, and that I can appreciate, but I, I, I would not want a Kingdom Hearts 2 without it. Because I think it serves an important function in terms of how the whole experience is framed. I can dig that. You're I, I supposed that. to spend that long with Roxas. And, and, and again, in retrospect, I think it was a really cool aspect of the game, but it was kind of one of those, at the time, it felt like I was wasting my time a little bit. Yeah, no, and like, you know, playing it now, I've seen it before, so I am skipping the Roxas cutscenes, because the real meat of Final Mix is in the Sora part, and, you know, that's... You know, we talked about Roxas so much. Uh, 2.5, you know, gist of it, runs at 60 frames, looks awesome. Um, Birth by Sleep looks great on console. You know, it's not quite as pretty as Kingdom uh, Hearts 2, but um, Birth by Sleep is great. It's Final Mix, too. Birth by Sleep, Final Mix. So you get the additional epilogue chapter and some extra cutscenes. Um, you know, I was really happy with Birth by Sleep. It feels awesome on, a, on, a, on an actual controller. Um, you know, moving the camera around with the right stick feels great. Having the widescreen view, it's just... You know, this is a really great, you know, HD upscale of an awesome PSP game. Um, 
The only things I've noticed so far that I would like, I'll get the negative stuff out of the way. I have noticed that in Birth by Sleep, there is a loading time to get to the menu. It's not, it's, it's only long the first time you do it. And I think it's because the game's on a Blu-ray disc now. Um, but you know, the first time I loaded the menu, the screen darkened for a good three or four seconds and then popped up, which is just jarring because I don't recall it being like that in the PSP version. And I have heard that in Kingdom Hearts 2, I'm not far enough yet, the drive forms have a little bit of lag when you summon them. Not slow down, but sort of like what a PlayStation 2 could do if your disk drive was messed up, is that you would stand there in sort of a glowing form while it loaded the drive. Right. Um, I have heard this has that. So that's sort of a bummer, but... That's actually the, that's, I'm reminded of something because, and not to cut you off, but it was, I think the only time I died in Final Fantasy XII was on the last boss because the cure spells weren't loading. And like, because of the, because of the the cue. Yeah, because I I was sitting there like, okay, you all need to start casting cure. And the the last boss is just wailing on me. And I'm like, um. Yeah, because it, it, 12 queued up abilities and it would only do the ones that were queued up first. So like, you know, it. I, that was a pretty big flaw in 12. Yeah, and I, I just remember, like, staring at the game and kind of looking around the room like, it, what is going on here? Like, I I have this this boss fight is over, and I'm dying right now. And I was I got so mad I didn't play the game again for almost 10 years. Well, fortunately, that is not the case in Kingdom Hearts 2. Even if there, I, again, I can't confirm it yet because I'm still playing as Roxas, but even if there is a loading sequence, like, you know, a couple seconds of stop while Sora is transforming... Uh, you're invinci- You're completely invincible when you're transforming. Um, yeah. So it, it wouldn't impact the gameplay. You know, it'd be a bummer to have that. But on the other hand... But I'd um, rather have that than slow down. Yes, which there is none of. Um, 60 frames looks awesome on Kingdom Hearts. Um, you know, this is a game that I think this looks even better in HD than the first one did. Because I thought the first one was very, like... You know, it looked great in HD, but it was still an older game. This is a game that was sort of in the golden age of PS2 when developers were getting like crazy stuff out of it. And the art design in Kingdom Hearts 2 is just so good. Like the worlds have so many like interesting little details and like just art, like artistic flourishes and it's very colorful. Um, but the animation in this one is really where the, where the, the, the benefit of the 60 frames comes in. Cause Kingdom Hearts 2 always was a way more fluid game than Kingdom Hearts 1. And seeing it in 60 FPS is just awesome. Like it plays great. Um, and it looks awesome. Um, you know, and the menu, then, you know, this is the final mix version, so you know you have access to the no ex, no experience ability if you want to do a level one run. You have critical mode, the new difficulty. Um, most interestingly about final mix is that there are fourteen additional secret bosses. Actually, there's more than that because all of the members of Organization Thirteen that were killed in the Game Boy game Chain of Memories. Spoilers. <laughs> all, all those characters have brand new boss battles that you get to throughout the story of Kingdom Hearts 2 where you sort of fight like their their lingering memory and they're optional and they're like super tough and then at the end you unlock a secret dungeon where you fight all 13 members of Organization 13 um, in like a super hard version and what's especially cool is they've added a boss battle with Roxas to the final mix version that, that cutscene near the end when Sora and Roxas just fight um, deep dive yeah, it was always sort of lame that you didn't actually fight Roxas. Um, and so I, I one of the coolest parts of Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix, and that you know a lot of people are going to get to experience the first time, is this fantastic boss battle with Roxas that makes sense thematically. It has an awesome battle theme that's you know a fight mix of Roxas's theme. Um, and it's just a really cool sort of Keyblade Wielder on Keyblade Wielder battle. Um, and then, of course, there's the super secret Uber boss, who's a character from Birth by Sleep, and it's wonderful. Um 
but yeah, you know, so far I'm really impressed with the, with Birth by Sleep and Kingdom Hearts 2. You know, what little I've played of both of them. I mean, I could talk more about it once, you know, next time we record, once I've had time to play them and review them. Um, the music is fantastic. A different org- group did the, a different organization did the music for this. Uh-huh. Um, organization 12. Uh, a group called Gakudan did the, re- the re-instrumentation in the first game where they sort of just took the original tracks and then just changed the instrumentation to live instruments. Uh, in this game, the songs are completely re-recorded by the video game orchestra, who is sort of a self-titled rock rockestra, um, and they did a fantastic job. Um, I would say maybe three or four tracks that I probably don't like as much as the original, but the rest of the game is just... It, it's amazing how much harder-hitting this music is when it's done by an orchestra than by the old synths. Like, I don't know if you guys recall the Pirates of the Caribbean battle theme in the original. It was really synthy and sounded super lame. Um, yeah, I actually do remember that. It was the He's a Pirate song from the movie. And so now it's a full orchestra and it like punches you in the face the way the song does in the movies. So it's awesome. That's actually my biggest problem with those uh, last two Pirates movies is they keep hinting at that song, but then they don't actually play the best part of it. Like they, they do all the build up and all the bridges that lead up to the part that everybody remembers from the first Pirate movie. And, yeah, but they never actually play that part of the song. And it always really ticked me off. Like... It, it would be like, it, well, that's the thing. It would be like if you had the whole like overtone on Vader's march, and then you did not get to you know the da 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 da. Not to turn this into music podcast at all. That he managed to work Star Wars into this. Uh, I've just you well, know, there you go. Um, Maybe J.J. Abrams will work some Star Wars into his Star Wars film. <laughs> he, already, he already worked a lot of Star Wars into his Star Trek films, so there you go. Uh, uh, no, but yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I uh, regarding those movies and that that's. That's sort of why it was so jarring in the original Kingdom Hearts 2 to go to the Pirates of the Caribbean world and have this, like, you know, it looks very different from the other worlds because you're basically interacting with humans. And just the battle theme sounded so subdued and lame in that synth. And now it's just like, it's, you know, it sounds like he's a pirate. Yeah, and I, um, you said a while back, but I couldn't find a chance to really get in there. I, I make fun of Kingdom Hearts a lot, but Kingdom Hearts 2 is one of, like, those sequels that just one-upped everything in Kingdom Hearts 1 from the music to the gameplay to the style. Like, it, it was just... It, it was yeah. such a giant shift forward. Just, it it was very really jarring. Good. Yeah, well, because, you know, it's it's like, you know, you have this structure of Kingdom Hearts 1 that's it, it on the surface is very familiar in Kingdom Hearts 2, but it's such a different game in almost every respect because, you know, now there's a combo system in there that, like, you know, they handle combo attacks differently from finishers. So, you know, you know, you get the two different abilities. Like, one stops you from taking a big hit that would kill you. The other one stops you from getting killed by a combo. Whereas in Kingdom Hearts 1, it was just, you know, everything was just a hit. And, like, you know, there's a lot more, like, small systems and adjustments. Like, the way MP works now, you know, it re- you, know you run out and then it recharges. You know, versus Kingdom Hearts 1, where you'd run out of MP and it's like, well, I'm out of MP. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> um, you know, there are, way- there are ways to game that system. But, again... The the flow of Kingdom Hearts 2 is just much better. I think the only area I don't think Kingdom Hearts 2 is as good as the first one in, and you guys are going to think I'm crazy for saying this, I find the worlds to be more engaging in Kingdom Hearts 1. I think they're great in 2, and I like them, but Kingdom Hearts 2 sort of marched, marked the beginning of their shift towards we're just going to give you big rooms to kill stuff in that yes, have a skin for Disney World. Whereas Kingdom Hearts 1, and Kingdom Hearts 2 still has some of this to an extent. I think it's the start of that shift. Um 
but it's the first where, you know, it's more about moving around the area than it is about, like, interacting with the area. Like, Kingdom Hearts 1, you have, like, the, the vines sliding in Tarzan's world. They're, like, swinging on the vines. You know, you fly in Peter Pan's world. Or, you know, Wonderland has, like, that really weird, crazy architecture and stuff. You know, it was sort of more about, you know, interacting with the world as opposed to just moving through it. And I think Kingdom Hearts 2 has a nice balance. It's a little too far in the moving around the world for me, but it, you know... The rest of the game is so well put together that it, it you know, doesn't bother me. But it is, a, it is a shift, and I think uh, I agree with you though that in general, two is just a vastly better game overall than the first one. I think I'm trying to. I totally agree with you because I, I think they feel more like worlds in Kingdom Hearts one, and it's much gamier in Kingdom Hearts two. That didn't really bother me that much because. I played Kingdom Hearts 1 in such rapid succession to 2 at that point. When I when I decided to play 2, I replayed 1 again, and I was so sick and tired, because I do think that some of their, like, especially in Aladdin's world, I just got completely confused where I was going at one point. I was just wandering yeah. around for, like, Because it's like you have to go through one particular door at a certain moment to get the cutscene to trigger. Right, and I think... That they, never happens in 2. Right, and they take a step back, and in 2, they really focus in on the kill rooms and their combat system, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, the, the, the environments lost some interactivity as a result of that. I, I can agree with you on that. And, you know, I think 2 still hasn't hit, like, the lows that... Again, I think Dream Drop Distance has the worst level design in the series... Um, you know, because 2 still has worlds that feel like they are the focus of the game. You know, in 2, you are going to Disney Worlds to, you know, to, you know, bleh, sorry. You're going to Disney Worlds to save the day. You know, the, the other plot is happening, and, you know, and again, in true series fashion, most of it's focused at the end. But, you know, you're still, the focal point is still on Sora interacting with Disney characters with this other plot happening on top of it. Whereas in, by the time you're at Dream Drop Distance, it's just square rooms or giant rooms for you to fly off the walls in. And the Disney thing is very superficial. It's not, Dream Drop Distance is not about going to Disney Worlds. It's about killing people and bouncing off walls. Yeah, um, yeah I think they got a little away from what they were kind of hoping to do I've, I've joked before i liked it when it was me donald and goofy on a magical adventure and they have really gotten away from that with kingdom hearts if they kind of went back to that with three i would be much more interested than the kind of standard uh, anime story for lack of a better word without being too disparaging like i think their story is steven you put it best it's just kind of organized or disorganized nonsense at this point and I, I liked it when it was like there was an overarching story, but it was mostly about you interacting with Disney. It, like I liked it when the overarching story was a reason for you to go to all these Disney worlds. Now it's these Disney worlds are filler that are in your way of seeing the next cutscene to the yeah, overarching story. That's, that's exactly what it's become. I agree. Um, and I, you know, I, I have hope that Kingdom Hearts three can pull that off because um, Birth by Sleep was very focused on its own storyline, and I think that game did a good job of balancing. Yeah, I'm going to Disney worlds. But it's all on sort of a chase. Like, every character is chasing something in that game. There's a really good sense of forward motion in Birth by Sleep because every character is seeking something, and it gives them a reason to go to these worlds. But the focus is very much on those characters and their plot versus Kingdom Hearts 2 and 1, which do a very good job of focusing on Disney worlds with the overarching plot sort of taking a backseat. Dream Drop Distance does a really bad job of making an overarching plot. Like, there's no reason for you to move forward in that game. So, King, yeah. so Kingdom Hearts 3, Steven's Game of the Years, come 2018. I think we'll probably see it 2016. 
I think it's nice to want things. No, sorry, not 2016. Uh, I, think, I think 20. I think late 2016, 2017, maybe. Because I, I think, think like, next year we're what's that? I would say 16. Yeah, and you know the reason I think that I think next year we're gonna get we're gonna get the, the 15 demo, and I think 15 is gonna come out the beginning of 2016, end of 2015. We're gonna get Dream Drop Distance HD next year. I would I would almost guarantee it. Um, and then I think there'll be a year off, and then I think it'll be Kingdom Hearts three. You think we're gonna have a year off, anymore. and then it'll be Kingdom Hearts three? Hmm. So to that, I would say late 2016, early 2017 for Kingdom Hearts three. So much waiting. But Ron, it's hard. I don't want to. Mm. Well, we will see. We will see. But yeah, if you like yeah. Kingdom Hearts, or if you have not played it, uh, 2.5 is a collection of the two best games in the series. Um, yeah, that's, that's the one. At I'm their best. For. Um, and then it has the so. I'll, I'll briefly mention this because I don't want to have us talking about it all day. But so Recoded is in there. Recoded is actually a fairly neat game because it's all these different gameplay styles. Like, you know, there's like a turn-based section. There's a shooter section. Some of them aren't great. Some of them are really fun. It's an interesting experiment. There's a lot of really tedious stuff in it. And the game is basically one long filler until you get to an ending cutscene that sets up for Dream Drop Distance. Um, so this is all the cutscenes from that done in HD, which at first sounded like the worst idea I've ever heard in my life. Because, again, it's a game full of filler. But there's two things they did that I think could turn it around, and I'll talk about this next time because I'm going to watch all of them. First of all is that they added the cutscenes from in Kingdom Hearts 1.5 were the 358 over two days. And they didn't have the fight sequences in there. So, like, you had this sort of really jarring, you know, people are talking, people are talking. Screen go, then they, let's, let's fight. Then the screen goes dark, and then the screen comes back, and somebody's dead. It was just jarring. Here, they've actually made brand new cutscenes of, like, fights. So it's kind of a little more like watching a movie than just watching recorded cutscenes. And second is that apparently they've added a bunch of new scenes to sort of flesh out the story. And again, Recoded did not need fleshing out. So I'm interested to see what these are going to add to it. If it's just more filler or if maybe it's more hooks into Kingdom Hearts 3, who knows. But, um, you know, I'll be interested to see. I'll talk more about it next time. But at the very least, it's better. It's it's better executed than three five eight over two days. Even yeah, if recoded yeah. as a story is not anywhere near as interesting as three five eight over two days. Well, you win some, you lose some, I guess. Yes, but yeah, buy this. Buy this for the two best games in the series and the cutscenes from one of the worst. <laughs> a, oh, glowing, a glowing endorsement from Stephen Myring. <laughs> I'm sure he'll have more to say he'll be reviewing it so yes it's only the tip of the iceberg kingdom hearts you really think we're gonna get a 3ds or dream drop distance whatever the hell it was you think we're gonna get that huh um well there are multiple Uh, okay whenever you say it it like that that means that there's something in the final cutscene that makes you think well no so in kingdom hearts 1.5 the ending cutscene had sequences from Kingdom Hearts 2 and Birth by Sleep in it, you know, indicating that there would be, you know, an HD release of that, because they were done in HD. The ending sequence to the Kingdom Hearts 2 in this one has sequences from Dream Drop Distance, which it did not have in the original. So, and then I think the Japanese-only browser game or something has indicated that there might be one, and they've sort of, and Tetsu Nomura was like, I think it'd be weird if you couldn't play the whole series on one console. I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that either, but I would, a- but I will buy it. Oh, well, you're part of the problem then. You know, 
I can't be there's part of it. Other... That's the thing is Dream Drop Distance is a fun game. It's just a soulless game. Doesn't that make it a bad game? No, because the combat is fun. It's just like it's not – it doesn't focus on the strengths of the Kingdom Hearts series. And like as a game, it is a fun action RPG. But as a Kingdom Hearts game, it is missing all of the things that you would want in one. Mm. Well, yeah. Eh, I can agree with that. I just I don't really want to play it again ever. But there's another game that I've been playing that has hearts in it. Pokemon? And yeah, it also has Tails in it. Not from Sonic the Hedgehog, a different one. You mean Tails Miles, Tails you mean miles per hour? Miles per hour, it's a pun. That's oh. such a good pun. That's one of the Man. worst things to ever love, happen to Sonic. I love Sonic. Oh, I don't really. Sorry. Um, but yeah, so Tales of Hearts R, that's the thing I've been playing. It is a remake of Tales of Hearts for Nintendo DS, which only came out in Japan. There were two versions of it. One of them was an anime edition, and one was a CG edition. The only difference was they had these hideous, friggin' heinous CG character models that they had in the cutscenes for CG version. And I think maybe the portraits and the menus? I can't remember, but they looked awful. It was like, you know that style of CG rendering that was popular in the PS2 era? So like, like late PS1, early PS2, where the characters had this really unnatural look to them, like... It was like if the style in Reboot kept advancing but never got better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. Anyway, they look like dog crap. (laughs) And um, that's not really relevant to this discussion. But Tales of Hearts R is a remake of of that game. Either anime or CD, it doesn't matter. This one goes with anime looks for everything. It has anime cutscenes and stuff. So um, I have heard from somebody I trust that this is worse than the DS version, but I have absolutely no metric to gauge that on, so I can't say. I think it's a competent game, but I think it feels very phoned in. The Tales series, actually, I've been growing less and less enchanted with them lately. I just think that they're, they've always been tropey, and I think that they have some strength in that, because they're, they're, they, they stick to a formula that works, and a lot of people really dig that, and I respect that, but Zillia 2, I, I would say my, my final impression of it was completely negative. Like, it just felt so completely soulless and phoned in because Zillia 2, you, you traversed the same world. And it was like literally this, it was like Final Fantasy X 2 all over again, but I think it was worse off because there wasn't, there wasn't any... Zillia's world wasn't that interesting to begin with that right. warranted a revisit. And there wasn't enough meaningful change in Zillia 2. It was like, oh, okay, so... There, these worlds. There were two worlds before. Now they're connected. Spoilers, and you have to see what what's changed in them. And I don't think enough changed for it to be worth revisiting. But anyway, so Hearts are, I think, is is suffering from the same the some of the, that same soullessness or phoned inness. I know I've said that like three or four times, but it's the only thing I can think of to really describe it accurately. Because to be fair, this was made several years back, like the original versions so of the cast and the and the, the plot the scenario was penned before even Zillia. And I think maybe it was, I don't remember if it was after Graces around the time of Graces. Not that that's really relevant, but um, I thought Graces had a bad plot. I thought Zillia had a better plot, but again, a really uninteresting world. So Tales of Hearts are is throwing the same structure at me with a different cast of characters and just different words, like different proper nouns, basically. They just, <laughs> it's No, it's proper noun soup. And they just like, 
they just mix everything around and they're like, okay, well, this time you're saving the world because people's hearts are are sick. It's called despair, and you have to go into their spiria, which is like their soul. And it's all boiling down to the same kind of thing where you're just moving from location to location and completing the requisite task before moving on to the next. And I know that's a really, that's an oversimplification. And I think that many, if not all RPGs, maybe not all, but most RPGs could be boiled down to that. So I, I understand how that could sound unfair. But Tales of Hearts R hasn't done a lot to really make me care about its cast or its world. So the game that's... starts. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, I, I, I don't want to take you off your thought, but I, I want to sort of agree with you there in that I've beaten Tales of Hearts R in Japanese, and towards the end I started skipping a lot of the dialogue because, A, it was effort for me to read it because it's Japanese and it's not as easy for me to read as English, and, B, I was like, all right, whatever, I know this I know this story. Um, and that's sort of, I you know, I used to love the Tales series. Like, I love Fantasia, I loved Eternia, Abyss, Symphonia, Vesperia, and, like, the, latest, the the Tales games in recent years have all given me that same sense of you guys aren't even trying to make this interesting. Like, I couldn't even... Like, Tales of Zillia has an awesome story. Or not an awesome story, an awesome combat system. And I didn't even want to finish it because I just didn't care because the, everything about it is so perfunctory. And Tales of Hearts, I think, you know, it gets sort of a pass for me because it's a portable game. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I like to play a good portable RPG with this combat system. But I agree with you that, like, it's making it harder and harder to care about that combat system when every game is just, here's a bunch of characters. You know, in, in Tales of the Abyss, for example, all of the characters have a meaningful reason for being with one another. And, you know, their skits play on their personalities. And they've sort of shifted recently. And I again, I, I haven't played Hearts in English, but... And I'm, I'm sure you're probably about to get to this, but what I hated about Zillion, what made me ultimately quit, is that they were not doing any character development that made me think these people should stay together. Yeah. And then they were building skits that pretended like they had. Like, it was like, ha-ha, Alvin, you're, so, you're such a rogue. And I'm like, you have not showed me once that he's roguish. Like, Yeah, I think that the characters are getting to be more... Tropey. They, they've always been tropey, but at this point they're just their tropiness exaggerated and they're like you said there's not an actual reason for them to band together because i think the last time that i really felt like there was a reason for the party to travel together was either in abyss or vesperia and in this it's just like okay so the the reason is the main character core is your typical uh, he's not an amnesiac surprisingly but he's uh an un he's like a sheltered boy from a rural village and this girl this mysterious girl suddenly washes up on the shore and is like oh i need some help from your grandfather who is a known warrior uh somatic a person who can use like a, a weapon of the heart called a soma because because proper nouns so how many like, tropes oh, did Derek uh, not to cut you off but how many tropes did you just hit there Am- amnesia girl on the beach grandfather is the only one that can help i'm guessing well, he that... said there's he said there's no amnesia so uh, okay but but like still i i mean i i have no experience with this franchise and just based off of that basic description i'm like nope yeah. So what happens in the very the very very early stages of the game is the girl Kohaku has her uh, she gets attacked by this witch and so the main character Core is like oh, okay I'm gonna enter her heart her spiria and repair her sickness because that's the thing you can do okay sure why not so he does that and then he either screws up or there's some narrative reason why it it fails and her emotions are shattered and they're sent all over the world in some big explosion that has not. It hasn't been revealed why she's special yet or why that would happen to her, which I'm sure we'll get, we'll get to that later in the story, which I'm, I'm not there yet. But 
so your 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 impetus for traveling the world is to go and collect each of her emotions one by one and restore them to her. And I actually think it's really interesting to see her regain her emotions individually. It's kind of reminiscent of what happened in reverse in Tales of Symphonia with Colette. But um, it's like the, the early emotions that you get especially are things that don't really matter. It's like she gets her fear back and suddenly she's like, ah, God, I'm so scared. Kawaii. And it's <laughs> every time she gets an emotion back, she just is that emotion for a while. And that's that's boring to me. So the the party is you, the, the main character, Core, who's like, oh, I don't know anything about the world. Herp to derp. I'm going to save the girl because, of course, he's going to. The girl with no emotions, and then her brother, who's just the abusive brother stereotype, where he's he's or he's overprotective of his sister, and then he's like, "Oh, what are you trying to do to my sister, you scamp?" And he's boring. I don't care about him. And then you meet, you know, mysterious warrior guy in the forest who's like, "Hmm, your friend looks sick. I'm gonna join you on a journey across the world and stay with you inexplicably." Like, okay, okay. And then you meet traveling merchant because, who's like, I'm yes. a traveling merchant and I have everything you need, but I'm going to make you into my servant. Ah, ha, ha. Ha, ha, can, can I just, love, I love money so much. Can we just yeah. go back to the days where you used to recruit Sasquatch in your party, a Moogle and, and a, tra- a traveling merchant? Best character. Best Perhaps <laughs> Donald Duck and Goofy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Tales of Hearts R's cast is so, like, they haven't done anything to make themselves interesting to me because you can't just shove a character trait down my throat and be like, like this character for this reason. Look how endearing they are. This is It's the same thing as what's happening, for me at least, in Persona Q, where it's just like, okay, I enjoy all of these characters because they have proven themselves to be worthwhile, nuanced people. And in Tales of Hearts R, I, well, so like, right, sorry to go back, in Persona Q, I'm only getting that one-note personality from each of them. That's all Tales of Hearts R has been for me since the beginning. I have five or... I, have, I think I have six party members now, and I just... I don't care. Like... They're they're traveling on this journey to repair her emotions for I don't know why any of the people would care that much and stick with them. But there are reasons, I'm sure, but they're not going to be revealed till later. But if if they don't tell me and they just shove all these characters at me really quickly and then make them travel together, like I as a player don't have time to get invested in them for any reason. And I'm not seeing any meaningful development along the way. That sort of plays into how I felt about Exilia, Exilia, Exil, Exilia. Whatever. Um, that sort of plays into how I felt about that in that, like, people were telling me, isn't this skit funny? I'm like, no, it's not, because it's not true. Like, the interactions the characters had were very surface level. You know, Tales of Exelia has no character-building moments at all. It's just one long series of things that are uh, happening that have I no... I has some, but, but I agree has... that a lot of it is, is like, imagined character development that you're supposed to assume happened by way of reference in skits that that i completely agree with exactly and versus tales of the abyss where you see the moments that make them bond as characters you experience those moments so later on when they make a joke about how luke used to be a total you know a, a spoiled brat or you know how jade likes to harass people it's because they've built up that personality like i believe that that is his personality i'm not being told you know, that that's his personality what i think Whereas, is is it, it's hilarious, but it, it's such a good comparison. I think the the progression of Tales games lately, as they've become increasingly generic and less less inspired, is the exact same way that Motoroi Sakura or Motoi Sakuraba is asked to compose his soundtracks for the series, because all of his soundtracks are almost exactly the same. And it's like let's just let's get the perfunctory thing out of the way. So like the plot 
and the music each time are feeling exactly the same to me. And the longer I'm exposed to the exact same set of characters and a similar situation with different proper nouns, like the less I'm going to care. Yeah. How many Tales games have there been in the past five years? I think it's been uh, one a not, year. Not like a yeah, not like a ridiculous amount, but I think about one a year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that you isn't it kind of the Assassin's Creed argument? Like we just sort of keep doing the same thing over and over again, and yeah, I I mean, I'd still rather play a Tales game over any Assassin's Creed game, but right, right, yeah. but but uh, you know, I, I but no, I think... it's you know, when you annualize your series, you you dilute some of what makes it made the earlier ones interesting. You know, Tales of Abyss wasn't good because you know it had all these bullet points. It was because all of the different parts of the game interacted well and. It was. It felt like an adventure. That's again. I hate to keep harping on Tales of Exilia, but I hate that game. And like, wow, you know, I I I think I've I think I've evolved towards really disliking it because it just feels like Assassin's Creed. It feels like checklist. Like, all right, we got to have an action battle system. Got it. All right, we need a we need a cast of characters who can have funny skits. Okay, we need a little girl character because that's cute, kawaii. And, like, yeah. you know, but, none of the game ever felt like I was engaged in what was happening. It was like, oh, everyone got kidnapped. I better go rescue them. All right, I rescued them. All right, something else is going to happen now. Okay, the bad guy's here. We're going to fight him because he's right. he's he's a character with a character design, so he's important. Yeah. Like, and I think that Zillia 2 just expanded on all of that, of that like, lack of, of care or, I guess... I don't know what I'm looking for. Just that that uninspiredness. Zillia too. Just Exilia just expanded on all of that, and it was like, okay, well, the first one felt that way in the first place, so I don't think that it was worth expanding that universe for. Oh, and for yeah. what it's worth, I think that the main gimmick in Tales of Hearts R's battle system is lame, because the like in Exilia, it's the team attacks where you link with people. In Hearts R, it's you can aerial chase, and you have to hit an enemy with a certain attack like a break attack attack that has a break property you can trigger it by holding down a button but that's irrelevant but once you hit like if you come an enemy enough they'll get a marker on them you hit them with your break attack and then suddenly you can press your guard button to teleport to wherever they are and knock them up into the air but it doesn't ever feel like i'm being afforded extra advantages other than the fact that the enemy can't hit back during that time it, it just it feels very bland to me and again phoned in it's like okay we have to think of some mechanic to add to make it different from just the Tails battle systems. What can we do? Oh, we'll do aerial chases. It, it's, it's not like in Grandia 3 where you can do aerial attacks that I actually felt like were meaningful, like you were juggling enemies and doing cool stuff. So It's the Madden argument, where every year they have to put a new feature into Madden. You remember the one year they did the uh, the quarterback camera and another yeah, year? Yeah, that... I remember that super well. You know, I, I, okay, I forget sometimes who I'm talking to on this podcast, two people that don't like football, but... What, what... nerds? <laughs> nerds. Uh, but one year they did the quarterback camera. Another year they did a first-person view mode. It's it's a bullet point for the back of the box. And I, I'd say even Square Enix got into that problem by consistently changing their battle system from Final Fantasy to Final uh, Fantasy. I and think sometimes they tried it, a lot more. well, well, no. And sometimes they were really good changes, and sometimes they weren't. I mean, oh, it, it's part of experimentation. Before you move on, the back of the box for Tales of Hearts are one of the three bullet points is intense aerial battles. Send enemies flying and dash after them. Yep, I mean, it's there. Um, you know what I kept thinking about while we were talking about Tales of Hearts R as I zoned out a little bit here? Mm-hmm. We have not talked about 
all of the trailer on this show we have not talked about all of the trailers and gameplay footage that they've been showing off for final fantasy 15 have we not we talked a little bit at e3 but we did not talk <laughs> are you sure we didn't talk about it i know i had a conversation Steven about that are like yeah i'm pretty sure we've talked about it i don't think we did and, i think no, you, we, I we think... talked about the the holding down the button combat thing yeah that's what we talked about we didn't talk about good lord this environment is gigantic yeah, well, yeah. I mean, so I, I just wrote a preview that hopefully we're going to post someday because it's going to be out of date by the time we post it. Um, you know, the, I, I like the idea of a big world, but that does not sell me a game anymore. Um, it looks pretty. And, you know, they say episode Dusuke is going to take, you know, an hour to walk across, and that's 10% of the game. That's fine, but there needs to be things for me to do in that large space that I want to do for that amount of space. That's true. That's true. I need to have a narrative reason. I do not want to play Final Fantasy Skyrim. I don't even want to play Final Fantasy Dragon Age. Dragon Age works because that's the type of experience it is. And you have that backdrop of the Inquisition making those smaller quests make sense. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. That's fair. Four guys on a road trip do not need to be going around fighting 10 rabbits for somebody and i swear to god if that play if if the whole giant world is just go kill 10 gorillas i'm gonna be like nope just no um and i think that's the danger that we're in right now with the appeal of games like skyrim and fallout and we've seen it kind of translate to dragon age you know i've been having a ball with dragon age i've, I've played it about 40 hours and i'm really enjoying it but i did kind of have a moment today where i felt like I have a very nasty tendency to go to the movie theater and eat way too much popcorn, and then I'm, like, sick for three days. Like, I I have mild diverticulitis. I, I, I get, like, popcorn kernels stuck in my stomach, and I just – I feel kind of miserable, but, man, it was really good while I was eating it. I kind of had that moment today with Dragon Age where I'm like, there is so much to this game, and I was binging on it to the point where it's like eating a whole thing of popcorn or a whole thing of potato chips. I'm still very much enjoying it, and I think the game does a very good job of – making your quests feel reasonable and feel like you're part of the world. But I was kind of getting into the Skyrim problem where I was like, wow, I'm doing a lot of checklists and I'm getting a little, a little antsy. Um, I, I was also a little intrigued by how slow I was gaining levels. Now I'm like level 15 and I'm gaining levels like once every five hours. So now the combat system is kind of slowed a little bit. It's still very interesting. I'm playing on hard and I'm, I'm finding it to be a lot of fun, but there was a little element of me going, there's a lot to this game, and I think I've kind of, I'm reaching my, I've seen all I want to see in Dragon Age. Whereas I think a lot of other gamers will do what they did with Skyrim, which is do everything. I think it helps to do the story missions and to make sure you go back to yeah. rest. Because the thing is, there's so much to do that you need to go back and engage your party to talk now and then. Because there are so many little cutscenes that happen with your party yep. that flesh out the story that you... You know, they, they pop up way more often than you'd think. But if you're out adventuring for 10 hours, you know, you're going to go back and have like 30 scenes to watch. So it's like, oh, gosh, like, you know, if I had paced this a little better. Um, yeah, I feel but, like I've, I'm the one who's kind of screwing up the pacing. Like I didn't do any of the uh, the story side missions for my characters until just recently. I started I opened up Cassandra's and I have to open up Verica's Verica's. Uh, I said Verica. Uh, I have to open up Verica's um, female counterpart. Speaking of which, I was kind of surprised that there was actual nudity in this game. I was like, wow. Yes. Oh, yeah. Full-on nipplage. Um, 
Unfortunately, you don't see Iron Bull's package. I, I watched the YouTube. Oh man! I was, really, I was really hopeful. Like, were we gonna go all the way? Oh, I, I want to keep talking about Final Fantasy 15, but I wanted to point out something I didn't talk about in Dragon Age last time. Uh, the fact that this game is the most diverse game I've ever played, and the representation of different kinds of people in it is fantastic. Like, one of Iron Bull's charges is a transgender person, and I didn't even notice at first because the game did such a good job, like, not being like, "Hey, look, it's a transgender person." It was just like, you know it comes up in a conversation at one point and Iron Bull says something awesome to that character. And you're like, oh, that's what it's like when you treat people like humans. And and also, I was kind of surprised because we're so used to the Bioware, like, you know, press X to bone because you can bone like every one of your party members that if you're playing a heterosexual male, you only have two options. And there's like eight romance choices. Actually, I think you have three. I thought it was only two. Cassandra, um... Who am I missing? Lady Montillier and then uh Josephine, right? Yeah, I thought there was another one. Maybe there's not. But yeah, no. Like, there's a very like you know, you this is the opposite of Dragon Age 2. You know, you can't bone everybody. You if you're a if you're a male human, you can bone two people. Yeah, and you And also, it's sort of you don't even have to bone them. You can just romance them. And the, another cool part was um you can flirt with characters that it won't lead anywhere. Yeah, so, actually, that's a lot of the fun I've had interacting with people, too. Yeah, just being like, flirtatious. And, like, Dor- Dorian is, I think, I think he's exclusively gay in the game, and I flirt with Dorian every chance I get, and it's hilarious. Because <laughs> you're like, hey, Dorian, how's it going? He's like, pretty good, you're looking fine today. I'm like, thank you, good sir. Yeah, it, it's it's just really cool that, again, they're not being ham-fisted with the sexuality and openness of the game. They're instead just being like, these are people. Yeah, you know, that's that that's sort of a bit why I wanted to bring this up again is just like they treat sex more maturely than most any of their games have before. Because before it's been like, ha sex. And I romance somebody and now we doinked and the romance subplot is over. Oh, and you get the underwear sex scenes and like the original Dragon Age origins that were like, what is going on <laughs> here? Like, yeah, you know, here they joke a little more about it. It feels more like how people actually interact when it comes to sex. Yeah, it's like when you um, walk in on your roommate in college. You know what I mean? Like, they actually do a scene of that where, like, sexuality is a normal thing that is almost – embrace maybe isn't the right word, but it's something that you should feel comfortable with. You shouldn't feel bad about it. And there are funny things and funny interactions that happen with it. I, I was really – I can't so, wait. I, I think you're really going to like it, um, but I would go with what Steven just said – Pepper your experience with the story missions and with the character missions, because I just went full bore, full bore exploration for like thirty well, hours. It's, it's so easy to do that because yeah. there's it, you know, it keeps feeding on itself, and like you know, you keep getting stronger, and you keep finding a new dungeon, or you'll keep finding you know some interesting side quest or a new area that looks really pretty, and you're like, oh, that's right, I have to go build my home base all Suikoden style. What did you just say to me? You'll see. Yeah, the, the Inquisitor's base, which I didn't open up for 25 hours because I was just screwing around in the hinterlands, was that was a cool moment when I finally opened that up. What I recommend to everybody that plays, including Derek, is that you do enough of the story missions that you unlock your real base. Because you have a base in the beginning, but it's very, like, stopgap. Uh, and you don't have full access to everything the game has to offer mechanically until you get your actual base. So... I think the I think the mission's called In Your Heart Shall Burn. Do story missions until you do that. It's like three or four story missions. Oh my god. I can't wait. I think you're going to like it. Oh, uh, speaking of which, if there isn't a news story about it, and I should know because I, I write a lot of news stories and I should have written one, uh, guess what got recertified by the ESRB? Sweet it in two. Yep. Oh, really? 
like, yeah. super recently? Uh, like last week, actually. Oh, shoot. Shoot. <laughs> Although, you know what made me kind of sad? Konami's been streaming it. Yeah, they've been streaming it. It's really cool. I you know, So I'm almost at the end of that game, and someday when I have time, I'm going to get back to it because I got waylaid by review games. You're not No, I'm like, I'm close to the end. And I want to see the ending because uh, I love that game. I'm sort of sad that all they're doing is putting it on PSN because on the one on the one hand it's good because you know there's no other way to play it, but on the other hand there are those glitches in it that are just terrible like the glitch that makes the second battle theme and the, the 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 like the big army battles not play breaks my heart because that song is amazing oh, and there's man. like yeah like there are some story battles where no music plays at all because there's a glitch and it's only in the English version because like apparently the translation was so rushed that they screwed up some of the code. So it's like one tiny little like character that has thrown it off. Um, and there's a few other little things too. Like, but yeah, like it's, it's sort of a bummer that there all those glitches are still present. But, uh, on the other hand, you know, it beats the alternative of hunting down a $300 copy of it and playing it on your non backwards compatible PlayStation four. I just kind of hope that everybody takes a, page out of sega's book and looks at the valkyria chronicles sales as my uh steam friends list everybody's been playing valkyria chronicles like crazy and that makes me really happy and a little jealous i'd like to be playing that soon you know uh, why not do suikoden on steam you know what i mean like I, I know that there's obviously a lot of money that would have to go into that and you'd have to port it to a pc but like i think japanese plus companies it's a it's a much older game I think. yeah but i'm just saying that i think japanese companies are starting to figure it out square enix with final fantasy 13 and now with uh metal gear ground zero is going to be out next month um they're figuring it out and i i keep harping on that simply because that's an untapped potential for market revenue and also when you put games on pc because of the mod community and stuff it also most makes the games timeless so like valkyrie chronicles being on pc now is a game that people are going to experience for years to come instead of having to go fish out their playstation 3 or find a super expensive copy of it like that's awesome yep. we got really off track of final fantasy 15 my whole thing was that i just thought final fantasy 15 was really pretty oh no it, yeah it's it gorgeous uh, i love the art style i love the song in the trailer and like I, I have I have really high hopes for their combat system. I think it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I don't think Square has had problems with their combat systems more recently. Uh, that's been not their problem. Um, I just I really hope that there is a strong Final Fantasy style narrative. Because if you're going to have a road trip, you need to have a road trip that's actually involves like, you know, things happening and like drama, like. Final Fantasy is not a series I play for a very like zen-like experience where it's like Skyrim where you just run off and f- go explore that mountain and yada yada. It's very much like, you know, I want to see things happen with these characters and, you know, be drawn into, you know, anime-style conflict. I think yeah. another thing that they have to be really careful of is, at least I felt with Final Fantasy thirteen with their codex or glossary or whatever it was, they tried to do the Skyrim, Dragon Age, Mass Effect thing of having a world with a lot of lore, and I think it blew up in their face as a result. They've always been uh, – it, it's been a series about characters, not a series about lore and intricate universes, and I really think they got away from that. I agree. I actually read a tweet by a writer recently that said, lore sucks. I hate lore. Don't give me lore in your game. And it was a critique aimed at Dragon Age. And it's 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 a fair critique. I think Kyle brought it up, too. I like the Dragon Age world, so I don't mind. I do, too. I mean, I, I'm but, with you. I like the Dragon Age world a lot. But I am tired of games feeding me just 400 different pages of text. 
And again, yeah. you know, uh, I love Dragon Age and I gave it points for doing this well because, again, Dragon Age 2 did it poorly. But I don't want to play a Final Fantasy where all of the story is handed to me in, like, I picked up a book and it talked about the culture of this town. I don't want that. Yeah. There's there's no quicker way to, to take me out of a game than to have the kind of game where you're walking around and you get, it's like, uh, it happens in Bayonetta 2, actually, which kind of puts me off. But I guess, you know, they, they can they only have so much time in the cutscenes of an action game. But still, it's like, you'll pick up a book while you're walking and it's like, press X to read story. No, I don't want to do that. I want you to give me the story as I'm actively playing the game. Like, I'd even take the voiceover kind of things that has become a recent trend that I'm not a huge fan of that, but I'd rather have the thing where you like pick up a codex or whatever, and then you hear some audio while you're actually going about playing the game. Um, I want to do that. Right? I just I hate the whole like pick up the book to actually know what's going on. No. Well, the, so the, there so there are exceptions to that for me. Lost Odyssey being the most notable one, but yes. that's because it's not lore in Lost Odyssey. It's stuff about the character. I love I love the Thousand Years of Dreams. That's completely different. Because that's about your character. That is stuff that informs what happens in the story. It's not like, yeah, you have to know what Redcliffe, you know, farms most of the time because it's important. Uh, no, it's not. It's interesting because I like the Dragon Age world. But if I don't have an existing connection to your world, and especially in a JRPG or a Final Fantasy where I would see the characters as being the strength, I want things that inform what is happening. And again, Derek's going to hate me for making this example. But look at the lore in Dark Souls. All of the lore in Dark Souls is like Lost Odyssey where... All the people you meet are, you know, they're a certain way. Like when you meet the great wolf Sif, he's like sad and sort of like fighting you. Why is he sad and fighting you? If you read the items and you you know the lore that the game does a really good job of giving you, you know it's because Artorius has you know, been corrupted and yada, yada, yada. And I think Lost Odyssey did a good job with that. I'm tired of games that, and again, Dragon Age Inquisition being the recent exception because I already know that world. Yeah. Um, and even to an extent, there are times where I don't read the lore because I'm like, all right, this is too much of it. Like, I want your your story is not books that my character picks up while he is engaging in a scenario. Your story is the scenario. And your everything should inform that in a fi- I feel like in a Final Fantasy, your story needs to be in your, your lore needs to inform your story. Like Blizzard can't get that right either. Blizzard has great lore. That's very fascinating because their lore are stories, and then their stories in their games are terrible. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, the best fantasy writers that I read right now, Joe Abercrombie, Martin, of course, they envelop you in their world, and so you learn the lore without explicitly being told about it. Like, the first time uh, you're reading Game of Thrones, and they bring up the Weirwood trees, or they bring up the... um, or like the, the little forest where everyone prays, for, like yeah. the people, like the old whatever the Starks believe in. Right. They don't outright say what it is. In fact, they never come right out and say what it is. It's simply implied that oh, this is a really meaningful thing for these characters. This is like their religion, and you don't have to be expressly told that. And I do think Dragon Age kind of stumbles on that at times. Overall, I think it does a pretty good world, uh, a pretty good job of it. It could also be because this is the third game in the franchise. We've been playing it for what over two hundred hours now in this world so we kind of know these things and again inquisition's main story is steeped in the lore the chantry is important templars are important like right. all of that information informs the main narrative and and this isn't to to bag on final fantasy 13 or, or final fantasy in general but that's been a series that's so character focused it's kind of like if you put lore into persona you know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't need to be there. This is a story. This is about people. This is about characters. Yeah, I don't want to know what Yasagami High's mascot is on you know thirty years ago. 
yeah, like, tell me what's relevant. And like, like thirteen is a great example of that in that they tried to have this character-driven story, but then they didn't have very engaging characters in some cases, and they had so much lore that was not related to what you were doing. Or, you know, it was related, but it should have been part of the plot. Like, there's no reason I should have had to look up what the Falci was in the Codex. Right. And then you have the Skyrim problem of, like, it's all lore. Because the, there's almost no character development there. The central storyline is... Every character is just an icon to send you on your next quest. Right. And so I, I, I guess I just want to see... And maybe the, the dude bro approach to Final Fantasy fifteen, you know, having this journey amongst these men in a car, you know, go grease lightning. Maybe that's them kind of going back to a story about characters and not so much like, oh, Lord Eddard became king after, you know, Lord Fauntleroy, blah, 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 begat him. Like, don't do any of that. Then we went to Ila Nublar and (laughs) and met some dinosaurs. I just kind of, hey, I thought that trailer looked awesome. I, th- I thought the trailer they, Jurassic World Jurassic World has a lot of work to do to convince me that somebody thought it was a good idea to build another park on the first island. <laughs> he it's... said it in the first movie. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Oh, okay. Thank you. Again, uh... I'm, again I'm going to see it because Chris Pratt is in it. And <laughs> Chris Pratt... Because Chris Pratt. That's what you Yes, say. because Chris Pratt. Um, but yeah, I, I just... We, we've been talking a lot about story and lore, and, you know, Kyle wasn't a really big fan of Dragon Age Inquisition. I don't want to put words in his mouth. I would love to get him on here and, and kind of voice his opinion on it. And I, I think he makes a lot of good points. Just because you have lore doesn't mean it's good. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about the, the lore in Bloodborne. You See, know, at their third time doing this kind of lore, are they still going to make it super interesting, or are they going to start doing the the Skyrim thing and the Tales of Hearts thing, where they just start putting a lot of yeah, just start changing nouns. On the yeah. other hand, though, we have to keep in mind that there's taste involved too. Like Dave said, he thought Kingdoms of Amalur's lore was really good, and Dragon Age's didn't. Kingdoms of Amalur is the most derivative lore I've ever read in my life. Like R.A. Salvatore invented fantasy tropes. And then wrote them again into that game. So, And that's how I feel about it. And he finds it way interesting. So there's taste involved to an extent, too. So obviously the moral stories don't try to please everybody. But. Right. And I, I think with Amalore, I really liked some of the aspects of that lore. But then the central narrative was crappy with the lore. So it was kind of, I, I don't know. that. That's a whole mess of, like, I really wish those guys had had another chance. Because I was mildly intrigued. You know, I, I liked Amalore. It was fun. Yeah, no, it was a really fun game. Um Man, we are just really off topic here. Okay, where do we, where do we go from here, guys? We hopefully all play the Final Fantasy fourteen demo when it, fifteen demo when it comes out. Yeah, well, I should hopefully have a PlayStation Four by then, and uh, I'll be playing Get that. A little Type Zero, a little Type Zero, a little Bloodborne, a little Witcher, uh, Witcher three, and apparently, as we move into news, a little Dark Souls two. And in other news, this <laughs> came up this morning. Right. Yep. <laughs> None of us were shocked by that. Glad you used it again. I I, I mean. <laughs> I, I, I made the news story for the site. I wrote it, and I, I just had to put in the subheadline, like, of course. Like, they were they were threatening this from the... I, I say threatening to be kind of harsh, but they were saying from the very start, oh, I don't know, we, we might, you know... Like, and then they did it. And it's, okay, that's kind of cool. Oh, what a surprise! I, I think their timing kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, with it coming out right before Bloodborne. They, it's coming out after Bloodborne. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's coming out April seventh. If Bloodborne doesn't uh, oh. shift again, this wow. would be this would be like if Kingdom Hearts three was coming out the two weeks before two point five HD remix. 
that would be bad timing. Yeah, I, I, but now then again, this is two different publishers. It's the same developer, but two different publishers. So Namco Bandai, you know, is not cannibalizing itself here, but it does kind of raise the like, you know, we we joke about From Software having really good ideas and then driving them into the ground. I'm a little, I'm a little worried about that, guys. Yeah. How many Armored Core games do we have? Armored Core, what are they, what are they, like from something? I forget what they're, there's some really funny names of those. Not that that's... I, I am excited for the rebalances in uh, the Dark Souls 2 new consoles and DX11 version, although I gotta say, that is really screwing over PC gamers to basically say, yeah, you need to rebuy this to get the new textures. I, I don't know, it, it doesn't feel right. Like, this isn't like we're putting it on a brand new console. This is already available on PC and you're charging people again, I hope they do the right thing and maybe do like the the sleeping dogs thing of, okay, you can buy it at a reduced price if you already own it on PC. Um, they're going to release a patch in, what was it, December or February that will address some balance issues and add some new content to the game. You're going to get all the DLC episodes when you buy this uh, Game of the Year edition. What is it? Scholar of the First Sin. Yep. I, th- I think it's cool. Um... I just worry about oversaturation with the franchise. You know, we, we've been talking about annualization. I'm a little worried about that with this game. And Jackie's dying in Rogue Legacy. And Okay, now she got out of the room. Very good. I was going to say, that's all you do in that game. Yeah, that's she, was, game. she was getting demolished in a room. So I'm, I'm just a little... I think Bloodborne's going to end up being the focus for everybody, and I think that this could have sold very well if it came out later, uh, earlier. You know what I mean? Like, if this was a February release, instead it's... I could see it picking up Steam later on. Like, maybe not great initial sales, but after people have uh, played Bloodborne enough, I'm sure there's going to be a crowd that's going to be like, oh, I want to go back to how it was in Dark Souls 2. Yeah, you're going to have the hipster crowd that's like, oh, you know, regardless of the quality of Bloodborne, they're going to be like, oh, man, they completely screwed it up. This is when it was at its best. And, you know... Who knows? Right now it's, oh, Dark Souls 2 is screwed up. Dark Souls 1 is when it was at its best, so... Oh, I, I think that they both have their, their pluses and minuses. Um, yeah. It's kind of what happens when you iterate on franchises. But yeah, yeah, Dark Souls 2 coming to new consoles. Yep. And uh, speaking of things coming to other consoles, the Banner Saga is now available on both Android and iOS. Rob still, still hasn't played it, still and he's still a bad person. <laughs> I know. Oh, I haven't either, so I'm also... Oh, bad. you're a bad person too, then. Yeah, I'm terrible. There's so many games to play. But the I'm Banner still... Saga is quick. You can beat it in like eight or nine hours. Have they said anything about the next episode of Banner Saga? I know it's uh, Austin Winery said he was recording some music for it on Twitter, so I mean they're making it. Okay, so it exists, but it's ten bucks on uh, Amazon or sorry Android, and I, I'm gonna I'm assuming it's gonna go on Steam sale if it's not right the second for Thanksgiving sale, but uh, I wanna I still wanna pick it up on PC. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Looks good though. Um, Xenoblade, Xenoblade Chronicles X is apparently almost complete, so that's really exciting. And that means we'll get it in America in about three years. No, it's it's <laughs> planned for American release in 2015, spring. So, or, I'm sorry, Japan spring and then sometime 2015 here. And I have faith that'll actually happen. I don't see it getting pushed back, especially if they've said, hey, the development is basically complete. At this point, I'm sure it's going to be QA, translation, all that kind of stuff. So, We're going to have a really cool couple of months here because I know that they're doing, not not to go back to Bloodborne for too long, but it relates to Xenoblade. 
Uh, they're doing some kind of big reveal of certain aspects of Bloodborne in December. I'm guessing that that's all multiplayer stuff. And they're going to do the same thing with Xenoblade, I would imagine, at some point here. Talk about their multiplayer. They The director tweeted out, you know, yes, there is a multiplayer element. We're going to talk about it soon. So I think it's interesting that where a lot of game developers have maybe shown too much about their games, like we are still creating some mystery here, which is, I think, a good thing. Uh, you know, let gamers kind of figure things out. Don't show everything at once. And I'm I'm interested to see what they do with Xenoblade. I mean, I don't I don't want to repeat that I was a little down at E3 because I I don't feel that they showed a whole lot. I am excited for it, and that's the one game that would probably make me buy a Wii U. But I, I kind of want to. Oh yeah, you don't like Smash for the millionth time. <sighs> Smash is is interesting. Smash I, is I have fantastic. A... Smash I, is the best game on Wii U, and it is a fantastic game with fantastically polished mechanics. But didn't you mechanics. guys like Brawl? I mean, I, I like the new one better like, than Brawl. I, I mean, re- Brawl yeah. was floaty, but I, I liked Brawl better than Melee because Brawl had characters I care about. I didn't grow up with Nintendo characters. I don't care about playing as Mario. I like Link, but I never enjoyed playing as him. Brawl and the new one have a bunch of characters that I do care about. Yeah, I think I like I like uh, Wii U better than Brawl. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Melee is probably better than Brawl still, but I think that I think and I think a lot of people have been really pleased with it. I'm I'm just gonna say I think a whole bunch. I know that there have been some people who have criticized it for still not being as fast as Melee, but I don't think those people are ever gonna be satisfied, which is why they made Project M. So those people can play Project M. That's fine. They can yeah. And Melee is like you know a lot of the mechanics that people claim to like in Melee aren't mechanics; they're game glitches and like cheesing the game to play a certain I, way and yes that adds techni- technicality I'm to, it, to but... agree with you but i think that we're, that's going to open a can of worms and people are going to get pissed off because the people are going to say well if it exists in the game and you can do it consistently then why not do it but i, I don't know i'm not I'm, done, I'm not a fan of that like i don't i want to learn if i'm going to get good at a, a fighting game i want to learn the systems that are there I guess on purpose, but it's it again. You can't really gauge developer intent so much. It just feels like a lot of the stuff, wave dashing and that kind of stuff. I feel like was very gamey and not really in the spirit of what the game was originally. Not see, I don't want to say intended. I, I just feel like it wasn't within the I think scope or the original bounds of the mechanics that were implemented in the game. Like people figured that out and that became the thing. And I, I don't think want you can to. say it's not intended because it was removed from both subsequent games. I don't know. Like, I think you'd be right in saying that. Like, that was not something that Sakurai wanted. And Brawl maybe wasn't the right choice for that because Brawl was very, you know, it was much more casual. I like Brawl better because of the cast, but I like the physics in Melee better. And I like the physics in Smash 4 better as well. I just wish they would have given it a better name because I hate just calling it Smash for Wii U. It's so stupid. Yeah. Well, you guys know my stance on Xenoblade Chronicles Exu. So. Yep, it's going to be awesome. I, I can't decide if I'm looking forward to that or 15 more. They're pretty equal for me. I, I want to see both. I want to see the ones. mech stuff. I, I want to get into a, a gear or a Wanzer or whatever the hell we want to call it. I want I want to see how that works out. Not eggs though. I want them no. to call them shulks. Anti gnosis weapon systems. It feels oh, like yeah. they've been. They, I mean, Namco Bandai has been kind of threatening that they might do a Xenoblade HD. Uh, Xenoblade. Uh, Xeno uh, Saga HD remix. That that could they potentially happen. That. I guess there I'd was. Buy that. Uh, they were asking people to show their support on Twitter by saying, hey, I want a Xenoblade. Or, sorry, see? I'm doing it now. <laughs> Xenosaga HD Trilogy. And I I remember reading that the director... T- was it? Who is it? Takahashi? Tetsuya Takahashi? I don't, I don't remember who yeah, it was. Takahashi. But he, 
he took the he, he showed that to whoever's in charge of making financial decisions at uh, Namco Bandai, and they were like, "So, just sorry, not enough." So, uh, I don't know if that means if that bodes ill or if they're playing coy or what. But I I would love to see an HD remake of those. I, I don't really want to play two again, but even just putting them on PSN would make me happy. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. I, I was I always just. I always just thought it was impressive what they did with the art design in the first one. I didn't play the other two because I remember finishing the first one and going, "That's it!" Like, oh yeah, it's like Make a twenty-five a hour game, and it was like over. Fingers, oh my god! I think that had one of my favorite narratives of any game series I played. Part of that may just be because of how protracted it was, waiting for the new installments over the years and getting hyped up and reading into the the story. But I, I legitimately think it had an a good, if very, anime-y plot. So, oh, yeah, I, I thought it was a great story. Yeah, so I, I hope that... And, and I have been reading articles saying that Xenoblade Chronicles X is going to have a more sci-fi feel than Xenoblade Chronicles. So I hope that the story is actually one of the best parts of the game. I think that Xenoblade Chronicles has a fine story, but it's not incredible. I think some parts at the end are surprising, but for the most part it's... You know, it's kind of like your fantasy story that goes almost as you would predict with the exception of a few really good twists, in my opinion. But, yeah. Um, as far as more news, uh, two, just two more things. Brandish, the PSP remake of the old Super Nintendo. I'm pretty sure it's this Super Nintendo. I don't know if it's Super Nintendo or PC-98 game. Brandish, made by Falcom of East and Legend of Heroes fame. Uh, Brandish for PSP is going to be coming out before the end of the year. Full title is Brandish the Dark Revenant, and it's a dungeon crawler that has an interesting mechanic where your character is always facing north on your game screen or up, and the dungeon rotates around you every time you change the camera. So it's it's known for that. Apparently it used to be really disorienting in the old SNES version because there was no animation when it changed perspective, so it would just snap like... What the next frame would be you facing a different direction. So it's really hard to explain without a video, but um, I guess the PSP version fixes that, and it's supposed to be one of Falcom's better titles. I think that Exceed, uh, Tom Lipschultz over at Exceed, who we talked to, he's a Falcom super fan, so I think that he's going to say everything is awesome. <laughs> and Everything is awesome! Yeah, I, I'm not going to say Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so it looks good. Like I, I love Falcom, I love Exceed. So I'm, Exceed hasn't put out a game that I've cared about in a while, which is kind of a bummer to me because they've always been one of my favorite publishers, and lately they've been focusing really heavily on the um, Senran Kagura stuff, and that's not anything I'm interested in whatsoever. And Occubus Trip turned out to not be something I was interested in. So yeah, I agree. I I, I respect Exceed a lot because they're great writers and they do great localizations. It's just I hate all of the games they've been localizing. Like. Since ever since Pandora's Tower, I feel like it's been like one sort of. Um, I mean, I'm sure they are doing these games because these games sell well. I mean, Brandish, on the other hand, Brandish is like a game that you know. Again, I might. I don't know if I'll like it, but at least it's not Akiba Strip or Senran Kagura, which is just like boobs and all I, gameplay I, and also boobs. I admit that I'm. I felt some disappointment when they announced the PS4 version of Akiba Strip because I knew that that just meant more of their time was going to be taking up on working on that. I know that's really selfish, but uh, I just, I didn't like Oculus Trip, and I, I feel like that's the kind of game they're focusing on really hard right now. And like you said, it makes sense because they're selling, but I just, 
I miss when I like they were it, bringing out interesting, unique stuff and not just boobs, cheesecake over and over. So. Yeah, I remember when they made games that were fun and not stupid with a gimmick. You know, like, like Shadow Hearts 3. Yeah, they did that. I you mean, Lord, Shadow, I, I, that was way back. But Everybody uh, take a drink. What? Yeah, Shadow Hearts. Shadow Hearts. And more recently, they, they I, I say recently, but like with DS when they did uh, Solitaire Robo, that was really cool. Oh, that's right. They did do that. Yeah, I, I like those kinds of experimental things that aren't really because that's that's what I always associated with them was the experimental stuff and not just the it's from Japan kind of thing. Well, like there's a lot of stuff from Japan and we as we've said, it being from Japan doesn't make it good. And I think they're 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 doing uh, they're, they're doing the thing that they're, I don't like. They're, they're pandering to an audience that wants those fan service games. And again. Not my thing. I don't think it's any of our things. But and you know, the, if you like that, that's perfectly fine. You're at liberty to like that. But I. But that that's also been I would the call, bulk of what they've done lately. Like, yeah, like I miss when they did serious games or games that were not like. This series is known for having giant breasts. Oh, also, there's action combats. I'm like, no. Like if, I, if they if they want to do those, that's fine. I I guess I just wish they would do one of those for every two or three. You know, wow! I was gonna say legitimate games. That's really well, uh, like they're doing Story of Seasons but... now, so that's like a real game. Yeah, Not like that, game, that's I what I'm saying. My it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be Final Fantasy drama. It, it just I feel like Story of Season is Story of Seasons is a game that takes itself more seriously mechanically. Like it, it doesn't. It's it's more of a game experience than boobs with a side helping of action combat, which everybody who's played the game says that it's surprisingly good. But, but I, I don't agree don't, with that. I can't, I can't get past the initial, uh, like, I, I just don't care. I don't want to try it, really. And that is that is being closed-minded to an extent, I suppose. But I'm not interested in the in the material. I don't care about the presentation. Yeah, you have it. Dark Souls is mechanically great, and you don't like the material there either. That's just not, it's, it ain't for me. And you know what I, I, My thing actually, is, is I don't want to play an okay action jrpg that has tons of boobs in it i'd rather play a there are more than enough games that have fantastic aesthetics and fantastic mechanics not okay mechanics yeah yeah man i was about to go on a tirade but i forgot i was gonna say apparently i wasn't that pissed off everybody just got distracted by the boobs you know me man i also gotta say steven thank you for putting that uh picture up of the menorah lightsaber <laughs> that okay. made my day. You should include that in the show notes. Just save it. That is fantastic. It's the it's the hilted lightsaber from the new Star Wars trailer, but somebody rotated the hilt and added eight of them, so it looks like a menorah. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, that's wonderful. I think we uh, are we doing pretty good on news there, Derek. You got anything else for us? Um, I'm pretty wrapped up. I was going to mention in passing that the. Game of Thrones Telltale series is going to be releasing its first episode, I think, before the end of the year, they said? Woohoo! Yeah, actually, next week. Oh, wow, okay, I didn't hear that. So that is uh, gonna... December 2nd, I believe. How okay. much Tyrion is going to be in that? I'm curious, because he's in all the shots I've seen of it. I don't think it's going to be a lot, actually. I think that they're... I so, think they're playing that up for marketing. Yes, and they're they're yeah. basing this off of the TV series, um, which, again, I, I think in some ways the TV series is better than the books. I know that's maybe a little sacrilegious, but that's how I honestly feel. I've gotten into serious arguments with my brother-in-law over that. I like the Lord of the Rings movies better than the books, and I love the books. Yeah, I, I think the TV series has cut out a lot of fat, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle book four and five, which are kind of... Mostly fat? Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. I think they're kind of playing it up for marketing purposes. I mean, if they actually got Peter Dinklage to 
voice in the game, and he's voicing Tyrion as opposed to a robot. Yeah, it'll probably be a good thing, but I I think I'm more interested... I'm nervous. I feel like I, I use interested a lot, so I'm trying to watch that on the podcast these days. I'm nervous because based on some of the hints that they showed in the trailer, like scenes of Theon Greyjoy... It feels a little bit like the Godfather video games to me, where, like, you're Look, playing... Look, it's all the famous people! Yeah, and you're playing as the character that put the horse's head in the bed, and you're not doing anything... You're doing references. So I, I kind of hope that they actually tell a story about this family, as opposed to just being like, these are path- passing references to the rest of the world of Game of Thrones. I, I kind of hey, hope that... Hodor is closed this morning. How nice of you. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, if they do it like that, I'm actually going to be really upset. So I'm, well, I'm kind of... It's, it's like that Lord of the Rings game on PS2 that was basically Final Fantasy X, where oh, it was like, you're yeah. the second Fellowship! It's like, no, I'm not the second Fellowship. Stop it. Oh, yeah, that was really bad. Oh, I and forgot I, about that, Stephen. I think Telltale has given no indication that they don't know how to handle a story. Uh, you know, their Back to the Future thing was great. They, you know, they got a few references to the movies out of the way in the first episode, and then they told their own original story. I think they recognize that people don't want, well, I hope they don't want, to be the guy who got the sword for Tyrion before he went into that battle. Yeah, yeah and see, that's, I'm worried that that's what they're going to do, but, you know, it's Telltale. They've been kind of knocking it out of the park lately, so... I want to play Tales from the Borderlands so badly. Yeah, Bob says it's great. I, I don't know what to make of that, because I actually don't like the Borderlands world at all. So I, I'm... Well, we talked, about it after e, we talked about it after E3. It's very... Uh, you know, it, it's Borderlands stylistically, but it's very much a Telltale story. Because, uh, I, I mean, I like Borderlands, but... Uh, you know, it's sort of... T- what I played of it at E3 sort of took the elements from Borderlands narratively that you would use, but then sort of told its own story. It was cool. I, I want to play it a lot. A lot more than I want to play the Game of Thrones game. <laughs> would you, you are such a hipster. Oh, I don't like Game of Thrones. No, I, I don't. I'm going to read it eventually. I, I just, I've read one and a half books, and apparently I should have read the third one because then I would have loved it, and then I could have read the fourth and fifth, which everyone says are boring again. Well, I would have, I mean, I, I think one and two are fantastic, but that's I think amazing. one is very good. I think two's first half is very like, all right, I'm waiting for something major to happen. Like, I feel like here's how I feel about the first half of this, of um, Clash of Kings. I feel like it's nothing but two guys moving chess pieces, planning for a strategy. And I'm told that the third book is when they start making the plays and that's fine. But at a certain point, I can't handle that for 600 pages. I can dig that. I can dig that. I think that's a fair assessment. On the other hand, though, I do need to finish it because, I, you know, I, I earlier was crit- saying that I think the Roxas part is the Roxas part is a guy moving chess pieces. And maybe it goes on for too long because then you start making the plays with Sora. So, you know, I, I recognize that there might be some dissonance there. And I do want to read the books because I eventually want to give them that chance. Yeah, it's just different when you're talking about a thousand pages of that versus a couple hours in Kingdom Hearts 2. I, I totally get what you're talking about. Yeah. Eventually, I'll read those books, though, and stop being a heathen. I mean, I, you know, the characters are good. We can only hope. We can only hope. Yep. We can. Oh, man. Uh, I guess we'll have to do our uh, end-of-the-year wrap-up, where we kind of talk about all the games that came out this year and what we're looking forward to next year. Uh, that's one of my favorite shows that we do every year. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And guess what, guys? Only, like, uh, six months till E3. 
and only uh, two months until MAGFest. Yes, and I'm very excited for both. I just want to see some new stuff at E3. You know, I I just really want to see some new stuff at E3. Well, luckily for you, that's what E3's for. So I, I've already get that wish. I'm gonna make a date with Kyle, and we are gonna go to CD Projekt Red if they're there. And I really hope that we're gonna see uh, Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. I, I really hope so. I kind of. I, I care doubtful. more about that than The Witcher. I actually do too. I like I mean I like The Witcher one and two quite a bit, but. I, I would be more excited to see what they can do with a sci-fi setting because there are not a lot of good sci-fi RPGs. Oh, Deus Ex says hi, and then everybody forgets about it because well, Star Ocean Four says. Uh, I said there are not a lot. I didn't say there are none. Uh, I was going to say, and then Thief happened, so I don't think we're going to be getting a. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, that. Oof. <laughs> that game was bad. That's what I hear. All right, guys. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Be sure to give us reviews on iTunes and subscribe to us. Uh, again, I'd, I'd love to get us to 100 reviews, but I think that's um, kind of like hoping that Final Fantasy 15 comes out in 2015. Bazinga! Oh, man. Please don't ever say Bazinga again, but, you know. Well, that was pretty good. Meant. That was pretty good. No! The game is 70% done, like, two months ago. Mm-hmm. It'll be out in the future. How about that? How's that for please me? Look, please look forward to it. Please, please look forward to it. Alright guys, uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast and we will see you all later.